a nutcracker as Valentine now takes Curry's head and starts to twist it to the side. But at least Bull has no worry about what can happen to his face or the fact that he might lose some of his beauty. The first thing I have to start with this week is I have a lot of things that have been going on over the last two weeks, three weeks, in fact, since our episodes have started to launch and they've been uploaded onto the Apple podcast service, Spotify, Google podcasts. And one of them is I want to thank the both of you for making two hours of my week every week the most enjoyable time of my life. And on top of that, I want to thank the listeners because they did something for me and for us that I can't put into words. You allowed three geezers to share in the joy of being number one in the world at something. There are no words or nothing I can say to you that will express how truly thankful I am that I know that me and Mike and Jim we're number one in Japan at something. It's hard to quantify how that makes me feel. So from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you to everybody out there who's listening. If I'm going to be number one somewhere, I want it to be Japan. <laughs> like, like, <that's, laughs> yes, like it's incredible. <laughs> like it's it's so and it's funny because when Tarek found it, I was like, well, this is obviously some kind of fluke. And then it and then it, he showed me one where it was number two. And I go, well. I go, see, now the trend is going and it's going to go away. And then as soon as he found it, number one, the next week, he sent it to me immediately. And he's like, no fluke. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's humbling and it's crazy and it's interesting and it's motivating. It's all those things. Freaked the hell out of me when I looked at the rankings and I saw Conan, Austin, Jericho, us. <laughs> it's hilarious right it's crazy i didn't i didn't tell anybody I told laura like probably just a little before she actually she actually found out through your post on facebook jim yeah. i didn't say anything because it's just it was just crazy and it is it is humbling and it's it's kind of funny and you just see yourself ahead of guys like that it makes me feel like the world is out there supporting us even though we didn't realize it this whole time you know what i mean and I would just yeah. like to say, if Austin or Jericho want to come on and be, you know, get their numbers bumped in Japan, I'm all about it. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> That's great. This week, we're talking about something I'd never seen before, something that happened in 1969 before all of us were born. We've got Wild Bull Curry against uh, Johnny Valentine, who is the father of... Greg the Hammer Valentine. This match is a two out of three falls match. So before we get into talking about this match or talking about the background, there's a couple of like old school things I want to go over with you guys. The first old school thing I want to go over with you guys is the stipulations for the matches in the 1960s. You have a number of matches. You have like the steel cage match, the lumberjack match, loser leaves town match, mask versus mask match, hair versus hair match, chain match, dog collar match, and I quit match. No DQ match, handicap match, scaffold match, coal miners glove match, and then the best two out of three falls. Out of all these stipulation matches, were there ones that you had that were your favorite, Jim? Um, when I I've always loved the cage, and like when I look at the old matches, they had that weird cage that was only slightly taller than the people, so like <laughs> escaping escaping wasn't really a thing. It was just to keep like managers out or interference out. Right. But like yeah, through every evolution, I've always loved the cage. Mike, what about you? 
Yeah, me too. The old NWA cage. I, I was more into the, uh, the the not climbing the cage, but beating the guy. You know, not climbing and and, uh, and getting out to win. Yeah. You know, not like the WWE, the big blue cage. You know what? I think so too. But I think one of the best cage matches I ever saw was the Orndorff Hogan tie cage match. Yeah, I knew you were gonna say that. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, that was great, right? I'm sure it was not a tie. Just the way they filmed it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way it could have been a tie. That was a good cage match for the blue cage type. But I agree. When you think about cage matches, you guys are right. Those NWA cage matches with flare all bloodied up and yeah. the lighting a little bit dim. And you could see like people are smoking in the arena. That atmosphere was fantastic for wrestling. I, I love that too. Yeah, I agree. So from the 60s, I think that's the best of the stipulation matches. And the worst for me was always the two out of three falls. I hated them. What did you think of this concept? Oh, I liked, two out of three falls? liked it. Jim, you too? I, I don't know because like I always, you're always like, all right, each guy's going to get one fall. It's not like anybody ever right. steamrolls somebody. Like it would be more significant to me if somebody like a decent amount of time just rolled somebody and went 2-0, but it never went that way. So the yeah, two first rare. two falls to me didn't mean anything. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a two falls and out match ever. Not once. And then out of these matches, the ones that I hated the most was the Lumberjack match. It made no sense. You knew that the guys on the outside were just going to brawl with the guys on the outside from the other side. And then the finish was going to be a result of some interference that the referee didn't see. And that was it. Like it was every time the same. Did you guys have one of these that you hated or you disliked? We didn't get them very much back then. So it was was kind of a treat, just whatever it was, I guess. You guys mentioned, I think, in one of our earlier episodes, you guys had all kinds of access to like AWA, NWA, Mid-South, all that stuff. I only have an imagination about the, who was in the dog collar? I'm sorry, Roddy Piper and... Piper and Valentine, yeah. That's right. The Piper and Valentine dog collar match. Did you guys get to see that when it was happening? No. No, uh, we were young. No. That's the one that and sticks out. It wasn't like, was on TV or anything. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't pay-per-view. So, yeah, we definitely didn't get to see that. The other thing I want to talk about is this match is happening in 1969 before we were born. And I think we all started getting into wrestling in the 80s, right? Probably like 81, 82, 83, 84, depending on how old we were. And so there were guys who were coming out of wrestling as we were just starting to be fans. So I remember having a faint memory of seeing like one or two Bruno San Martino matches or a Billy Superstar Billy Graham match or yeah. Jerry the Crusher Blackwell, who I always thought should have been Jerry the Butterball Turkey Blackwell. Like, <laughs> yeah, he was pretty good for size. <laughs> and, and people yeah. sold well for him. They sold really well for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I think the Terror were a good team. Faster than you would think for being, you know, a big Butterball Turkey. I see. So he wasn't one of these, like, just fat, out-of-shape blob guys. He actually had no, the agility. No, actually, in the AWA, the out-of-shape guy was Earthquake Ferris, who did an airplane spin oh, called God. the Ferris Wheel. Oh. <laughs> I forgot about that, Jimmy. Holy crap. So I went through and I pulled out a whole list. Yeah. The other guys that were, like, on their last legs were Ivan Putsky. Yeah. I saw, I, I saw him yeah. on my first card. I saw him I, fight Jesse Ventura. I remember that feud, and I faintly remember... That was pretty racist, right? Like Jesse was calling him like pretty racist stuff. Oh yeah. I stuff I imagine that couldn't fly today, right? It was all about him being Polish and, and yeah. immigrant and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And so okay, so we we see Putsky and then how about Nick Bockwinkle? Did you get to see him? Oh yeah, he was great. Yeah, I we think saw- he saw a lot more maybe I saw a lot more of those guys maybe than you that I don't remember like yeah. their end so much. I remember them like for a good chunk. Like a good chunk of them. Like oh, maybe wow. not Bruno or like Billy right. Graham or Pedro uh-huh. Morales. But like, oh, you know, like right, some right. of these other guys, like especially the AWA guys, like Bachwinkle, and that I saw a ton of his, his work. I saw only one of his matches with Hogan. 
Yeah, he was great. I saw his mic work. He was great. Jim, did you ever get to see Killer Kowalski or Pat Patterson? No, the only the only one of those like big time names is is Bruno Sammartino I saw and it was easily one of the worst matches I've ever seen in my life. The main so like when the WWF used to tour, they had an A team and a B team. Okay. So like Hogan Hogan was on the A team and like Piper was on the B team. So they would split it up. Right. And like your MSG show would get Hogan and and the belts usually for the most part. And you'd get Hogan once in a while, but you'd mainly get the B team. And the main event was supposed to be Andre the Giant versus the Missing Link. Oh. And I was so psyched to see the Missing Link. Uh, because, he's like, hell yeah. Yeah, because he, cause he's just a character. And obviously, you want to see Andre. Well, they go to announce the main event, and they're like, Andre the Giant is not here. So we're oh. going to have a substitute. Uh. This is 1985, and okay. Bruno San Martino comes out, who has no TV time. And I have none of the old magazines. So I only barely know who he is. He was and in the I'm booth like, at that time with McMahon, right? Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, he had not. Right. I had not known his like legendary wrestling career at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and he was super and, tail end for us then. Yeah. So yeah, the, yeah. And the match starts and the brawling back and forth because San Martino's wrestling that old '60s style, and he knocks. It's like four or five minutes into the match, and he knocks the missing link through the ropes, yeah. and missing link's foot gets caught in between the ropes. So he's just sort of hanging there. Right. And the ref counts him out. Oh. Hanging, <laughs> hanging off the apron from the ropes from his foot. I, oh, the, my God. It was the worst. Oh, that's Like, rough. just have San Martino go over clean or something. It was terrible. Right. Like, oh. nobody, nobody was happy. People that liked San Martino weren't happy. Like, nobody. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And those old time guys, you know, I think a lot of them are all about mystique. There's not like a lot of skill when you go back and watch their matches. There's a couple of guys who are great. We mentioned once before Harley Race was really good. The Funks were really good. Yeah, but but a lot the Briscoes, but a lot of these guys, they were just the shits, right? And so I have a, a memory of <laughs> so I have a story of my own of an old time guy, Tony Gurria. Do you guys remember Tony Gurria? Oh yeah. He he was good, but when I saw him later on, obviously he was he was jobbing on wrestling superstars and stuff. Yeah, I think, he was low mid, low, low maybe even. Yeah. Yeah. I think after he did that for a while, they brought him back with Martell as a tag team, right? And then he had like a small tag team run and then he just faded away. Yes. So, <laughs> so I have a good memory and I know who Tony Gurria is. And we decide in 1999, we're going to go watch Raw from the Sky Dome. Okay. So this is, you have to remember, this is probably like about 15 years after the guys retired. For this Raw, they had. 41,000 people. Wow. So that's a half full building, basically. And so they yeah. had that huge raw setup. We were kind of to the side of the ring. So we could actually see everything that was going on backstage. It was really, really a strange setup. The cameras were set at a different angle. So people couldn't see what was going on behind the big raw stage. But the back of the ramp had the big, uh, what's it called? The Titan Tron. And then mm-hmm. underneath the Titan Tron, the guys walked to the back and then there's a curtain. And then after the curtain, we could just see everything that was going on there. Like, it was totally open for us. And so guys would be coming out in preparation for their match. For example, on that show, there was The Rock and uh, who, the Austin and whoever. And before guys get to their position where they've got to come out and their music hits or whatever, people in our section are just screaming their name. Like, they're Rocky, Rocky, and whoever. And so those guys backstage, they could see us. And they'd, like, look up at us and wave or do whatever. And so... <laughs> 
people are yelling at all these guys. And I see these agents come out. And I recognize it. Like, there's a whole bunch of old school guys. And so I see Tony Gurria come out. And uh, man, it's 99. He's been out of the game for 15 years. He's looking a little bit like a guy in his late 40s, early 50s. And so I scream out, Tony Gurria! Right? <laughs> Tony Gurria looks up at me. And he's got this huge smile on his face. Like, somebody recognized him. <laughs> and then I scream out, you fucking sucked. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> he, he takes his left arm and he crosses it over his chest and he takes his right arm as if to give me like the fuck off sign with his arm going up in the air. He was so fucking pissed and all the other wrestlers around him started laughing. It was it was hilarious. Yeah, Bret Hart like, told me to fuck off. It must be those Canadian guys. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. He didn't like my sign. It was a pro honky tonk man sign. He didn't like it, and I got good. He was happy when he saw it. He saw the little the hitman thing, and then he saw that it was yeah. a pro honky sign, and he told me to go yeah. fuck off. Probably, <laughs> I think I was little. Yeah. <laughs> so, but like, I think those old time guys, they really take it to heart when you criticize them. It's easy. You want to get under an old school guy's skin? Just say a little bit of shit to him. They lose their yeah. shit so fast. Oh, so fast. Since we're talking about old guys, there's one thing that I want to mention. Did either of you guys ever watch Larry Zbysko's WWF Hall of Fame or WWE Hall of Fame acceptance speech? No. No. It's fucking incredible. I always liked Zbysko. Zbysko's another guy in this list. Like, he's on the tail end as we start watching. Well, we but he saw made a lot a of him yeah. when he was still good. He was uh, carrying the AWA for a while. Like, he was just carrying yeah. it. His Hall of Fame interview almost made me cry. It was beautiful. He was just a fan. He loved San Martino. San Martino lived in his neighborhood. He went over to San Martino's house, went under his fence. Like he had like a, a big fence around his house. He went under the fence into the pool area, saw San Martino there and didn't know what to, he just wanted to meet San Martino. And San Martino oh. was like, what are you doing in my house? And he was like, yeah, Mr. San Martino, I love you. I love you. Blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, all right, kid, don't worry about it. He goes, you want to be a wrestler? And Zabisco goes, yeah. He goes, okay, I'll train you. Oh, wow. shit, that's awesome. I didn't know that's, that. That's fucking incredible. incredible. That's why when San Martino went out with that injury, Zabisco was the guy who put him out, right? If you remember the storyline. Oh, yeah, yeah. Zabis yeah, yeah. It was all because and you hear the way he talks about Bruno with love. It's so emotional. I highly recommend If you can get that whole speech, if you can find it somewhere, go listen to it. It's great. Anybody out there should listen to it. It's wonderful. Wonderful. But yeah, these old school guys, they have interesting stories. It's just, I think a lot of us, unfortunately now in our age group, when kids talk to us about old school guys, they talk to us about Hogan and, right. <laughs> and Orndorff and Vader and these guys who just kind of, most of them recently passed away. It's kind of sad to think we're now those guys who are the fans of the old school guys. We're the creepy old dude sitting in the crowd watching us. <laughs> Okay, so this week's match, let's get into this week's match. There's a couple of things for this week's main event. First of all, Mike, what a great find in terms of video quality. Holy shit. That not was amazing. Yeah, right. Not bad for the, for the age. Fuck, yeah, for 1969. Sure. How the fuck did they... I don't know if they restored it or if the original was that good, but the audio and video was wonderful. Wonderful. Easy, easy viewing. I'm not talking about the match itself. The match itself was another story, but the video was fantastic. And then, yeah, it was a strange an, match. 
Yeah, it's a strange match. But I can understand why. Was, yeah, I, I can understand just, why that, Valentine That's just how it was. That's just how it was back then, a lot of the matches, though. They were more like yeah. a fight. Yeah, yeah, they were more like a fight. Agreed. Okay, we'll get into that in a second. So then the other thing I want to mention is, at this time, Bull Curry is 55 years old. Wow. He looked it. Great, right? <laughs> you think he looked it? <laughs> I think so. He looked like Igor. Yeah, so, he's an ultimate heel look, for sure, even though he's not the heel. He was the precursor, they say, to the Sheik and Abby and Brody and all those guys. So It looks exactly like the Sesame Street Count. <laughs> the Count. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, holy sh-. It was like flashbacks. It was amazing. And I wonder if they built a count off that image because he's got the same monobrow. He's got that same expression. He's like a friendly, evil-looking guy. To me, the resemblance is uncanny. Uncanny. And he was, he was a huge name that I really didn't know about up until more recently. They, I mean, he, he was in the ring in a like an exhibition match against Jack Dempsey. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, he was huge. I think it's just because he didn't have WWF exposure or WWE exposure or NWA exposure. That's the reason why we didn't hear much about him. Yeah, but as much as I like, we were in all the magazines, you know what I mean? Yeah. We saw a lot of stuff about like other territories and I, I don't remember him at all. Jim, do you remember him at all? No, not at all. Yeah, me neither. Because the magazines, the magazines didn't really do flashback stuff. They just, they were six months yeah. behind as it is. They weren't going to yeah. go another ten years behind. Right, 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 right. And then this, another cool thing about this match was, this is from the Sam Houston Coliseum. I'd heard a lot about this place, but never seen a match from it. The crowd was fantastic. Yes. Fantastic. Yep. Yeah. And then the last thing before we get into matches, we always yes, talk man, about. Rob had to piss you off. Oh, wait, I, I, Mike, I'm totally getting, I prepared for this, okay? So that fucking ref, it's the first time I found a ref worse than Nick Patrick. Way worse than Nick Patrick, okay? And that ref's name is Dick Reigns. No joke. Dick Reigns, and he used to be a wrestler in the 50s, and his dirty nickname, Dick. Dirty Dick. He's yep. Dirty Dick Reigns. He'd always get DQ'd. <laughs> He's another one. I, I, I think I might have remember him as a ref but i didn't know he was a wrestler and then i uh, found out more about him too yeah he, he was supposed to be a lunatic that could have been your nickname in the 90s right dirty <laughs> dick. <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah dirty dick was a terrible ref terrible count i don't know what he was he was he was awful 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 what do you think jim as real as they try to keep those matches in the 60s when he put when he hits the ref why yeah. is the ref not dqing him right <laughs> I was so yeah. confused. Yeah, it didn't make much sense. I agree. And then the ref count, and the, when the ref oh, decided to interfere, and, oh, terrible, horrible. right? Horrible. <laughs> they got booed out of the freaking building now. People have been throwing shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, that yeah. was a horrible fall. <laughs> the setup, and none of it made any sense. And then the second fall was also confusing. The ref was just all over the place. I think he didn't have good, yeah, he didn't have any control over what was going on. And maybe it's the way they talked about the finishes at that time. Maybe they just talked about it in the ring because the guys had to be separated backstage, right? At that time, like the heels and the faces are in different locker rooms. Nobody's really talking about the finishes until they get in the ring. So it's the job of the referee to sort that shit out as stuff's going on. And I think he's the one who fucked this all up. That's my hey, guess. It? Yeah, it was bad. And then commentary. You guys probably didn't know because they didn't announce this. That was Paul Bosch doing commentary. Oh, wow. I, saw, I, I saw him afterwards after the match. Uh, what did you think of his commentary, Chip? Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was okay. Like, it's hard, uh, like the crowd, for me, just having the crowd would have been enough because they, they're, they're so electric in that arena for that type of wrestling at the time because that's what wrestling is. 
And I thought he was okay. I thought he was okay, but he didn't add or take away from me. So what's funny about Paul Bosch is he says a couple of lines that really cracked me up. Johnny Valentine grabs Bull Curry in a front face lock and he calls it a nutcracker. What the hell is a nutcracker? I'm thinking <laughs> that would be a shot to the balls or something like that. Like that's from the attitude area. Old, old finisher in WWE. <laughs> And then the other thing that was kind of funny, I think he tried to interject a little bit of humor. It was very deadpan, but he said when uh, Johnny Valentine has a front face lock on, at least Bull has nothing to worry about, about what's going to happen to his face or that he might lose some of his beauty. I thought, <laughs> I thought that too. That was good. Yeah, that was good. But totally not bad. I think, you know, Paul Bosch as a commentator, uh, passing grade, it, the crowd was so into it and they don't see this until post and so they captured the feeling of the audience well. And I think right. he did whatever he was supposed to do. So How about bad. those punches, though, man? Fuck. Some of them were stiff. <laughs> were they even worked? Like, I was going to say they're probably <laughs> the best worked punches I've seen, but I don't even know if they were worked. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> He's a 24-time NWA brass knuckle champion for a reason. Especially after the blade. Like, you see the, the blood is trickling just a little bit out of his head. And then yeah. Bull Curry. It's like... He's like a real bull. He, it's like a mad bull. He sees the red and he just starts going after it. Boom, boom, boom. Every shot seems like it's specifically targeted right to the forehead just to make him bleed more. Right. Yeah. Oh, awesome. That's when how I, I look heard the at, match. When I look at those punches, right? Like you see Bull Curry's offense is just a right hand. He doesn't right. have one body slam, not one suplex, not one clothesline, not a damn thing. Just a right hand. And he's I a know. professional wrestler. And he's over huge. That was amazing for me. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't do one move during the match, did he? Not one. I didn't see one. Did you see one, Jim? No, he didn't. No, he's literally just a punching machine. Yeah. And he's over. And I couldn't so over. I couldn't understand why he was the, the face here. He looks like a count. He's hairy and dirty, <laughs> and he's got no sex appeal. Like, there's what? What are the people cheering for? Like, I couldn't get it. And when I thought about him. And I thought about our generation. The closest guys that come to mind compared to him were like Iron Mike Sharp and George the Animal Steel, right? He's like a mix of oh, those two guys. Too, yeah. Yeah. And, but those two guys were never over as faces. They were always no. heels, right? There's no way the crowd would be cheering for those guys. So I couldn't get. Well, what George Steel was over with Savage, I guess. But that's about Iron it. Mike, Iron Mike Sharp was over in my house. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> you know, his nickname was Canada's greatest athlete, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, what he was called. Yeah. Until Naveed came along. Uh, don't start <laughs> with that shit again. It's too early in the episode to start with that shit. <laughs> so yeah, so the, his arm—he had the forearm cast or brace even before Cowboy Bob Orton, right? He's yeah. the originator of the fake cast on the right arm. Yeah. I thought that was clever. But anyway, yeah, like what, ten years. 10 years, right? 10 years with the cast on the arm. I always used to get. But those guys really resembled Bull Curry's style. And I wonder if he influenced them or if it was just something they, like, you know, they didn't realize they were copying him. But the way he walked around the ring, that's exactly Very the way George. Sharp. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like the way he walked. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess a combination of both because he was a little bit hunched over, too. I'm sure those guys were influenced by him. We see guys today, right? Like you look at Ricochet and. Osprey, and clearly those guys are influenced by Sayama Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid and yeah, Rey yeah. Mysterio. I'm sure the same thing was going on with uh, Mike Sharp and George Steele. They must have been influenced by Bull Curry. Nobody wants to look like that. If I'm, you know, <laughs> <laughs> there's no way I'm going out like that unless I know I'm making money with it. 
And then I have a personal thing that really bothered me about this match. And I know this is going to sound strange to you guys, but I'm fucking disgusted by male body hair. Really <laughs> disgusted by male body hair. On the arms, on the back, on the fucking anywhere, body hair. So when he goes to the outside, like they get into the tables a little bit and he goes into the crowd, people are touching his back. And I'm uh. fucking having like tingles all over my body. Like I'm having the heebie-jeebies <laughs> going all through my bodies. I'm like, holy fuck, what's this? what is this? Why would you touch that fucking guy? He's all sweaty and hairy. And it really creeped me out. But the crowd was so into him. It was shocking for me. I, okay. I didn't get that, but yeah, right. But you're the same way, right, Mike? You and me are like very not hairy. I hairy back at all. Like I'd have no need. <laughs> I don't know if I need to high five the guy, to be honest with you. There's some guys, right? Like, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but like if Austin in his prime is walking by you and he goes to give you a high five, you don't hesitate, right? You're like, fuck oh, yeah. yeah, right? Like, yeah, Austin. But like, Bull Curry comes by and he walks by you. I'm not going to touch his back. Fuck that. Okay. And then uh, talking about like looks, his opponent, Greg Valentine's father, for that time, he was super handsome and he had a great build and right. he was like, a, he looked like a million bucks. Yeah, you can see you definitely see the resemblance of him and his kid, huh? Yeah, and he's like the the less stumpier version. When you see <laughs> Bull Curry on the outside of the ropes on the apron, and the father goes to do that, like drop the elbow, like the, the standing elbow smash from behind, I had yeah. flashbacks of his son. I was like, holy right. mackerel, it's incredible. DNA is unbelievable. Right. The match. Let's get into the match. Finally, we've talked a little bit about it, but uh, it's a punch fest, and it's just punch after punch after punch, after punch. And this reminded me a little bit of like, you ever watch Cyber Slam when Jerry Lawler debuted in the ECW arena and they had the match between Raven and Tommy Dreamer and each guy just keeps DDTing the other guy. It must have been like 50 DDTs back to back to back to back with close falls. It just seemed like these guys didn't know what else to do. It's just punch after punch after punch after punch after punch. I couldn't understand why the crowd was so into it. Did you find it interesting or entertaining, or what was your thoughts on that? Well, Curry might not have done much more, and you said he was in his 50s. Yeah, already in his 50s. I think maybe that's all that he had that was believable. Uh, he, he had that was what he was known for. And what about uh, Valentine? What did you think of his offense and how he worked? Yeah, he didn't do much either. That first pinfall, maybe, I think it was probably <laughs> Reigns' fault, but that was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. Jim, what did you think? I think, again, you have to go back to the fact of that, like, if you could do something so minimal that right. was so over an arena, wouldn't you? Yeah. Like, you, yeah. like you, you go where the crowd is hot. Like, if that's what they want, that's what you give them. It's funny. When you're young, right, you want to go and show that you deserve to belong. You don't really care how the crowd reacts to it because you expect them to react to you doing something different. You don't try to think about minimalizing what it is that you do. But Mike's right. He's 55 here. And so if he can get away with just a punch, he should get away with it. And every time he punched, they got more and more into it. And so yeah. it might have been the right strategy, actually. I definitely even, think it was. Yeah, even though by today's standards, it was pretty boring. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was really slow starting, too. Yeah. Well, what do we I, have about what do we got? We had a headlock or a nutcracker. Right, a nutcracker, <laughs> right. And then there was a, um, an arm bar for a short while. And then he breaks it up with a punch to the face. And then I don't know how that finish. It seems to be like a hip toss, maybe, that goes to the first fall, right? That leads yeah. to the first fall. Oh. And then the second fall, what was that? <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I thought he, count, he counted 10 right. or, four, or 14, maybe. I don't know. 
Yeah, there's yeah, no clarity in what in his decision making. None at all. None at all. And then so you've got one fall apiece, and then the second fall is not really. I don't know. It doesn't make Bull Curry look strong. You know what I mean? Like it, it's just a weird kind of second fall. And then the third fall, the end of the match, <laughs> not not building to a climax in any way. What did you think about the end of the match, Jim? I I thought it was bizarre. Like. Like, I don't understand, like, if you're going to go for the brawl ending, mm-hmm. just roll out, like, there's no reason to hit the ref. Like, right. just go for, just like for the second fall, if you're going to have Valentine get counted out, mm-hmm. just have Bull Curry hit him and knock him through the ropes and have him not be able to get back in the ring. I mean, again, I haven't watched a ton of matches from back then, so I don't know if this is standard procedure. It's mm-hmm. just, from from my perspective, it just looks weird. What do you think about it, Mike? Yeah, I agree, too. Thank God we had the announcers because you really didn't know what what was happening as far as like the, the, the falls. This match without commentary would have been disaster to watch. Especially you didn't know about the two out of three falls, you would have really probably not have realized that that was a. And even he he had such a long pause on the right. first count that you would have mm. thought maybe he started the count over and he got out. <laughs> <laughs> and at the ending, what's crazy is Bull Curry is the face. He's the hero. He's the the star. Why is he knocking everybody out? Like, what is going on here? Like, Valentine that, must have been a real dick. The crowd was loving it, so it, it must have been like he's just pushed over his capacity or his limit to be able to handle what Valentine had done. But we, unfortunately, didn't get any of the backstory, so it was a little bit difficult to see why it would have gone that way. Yeah. But uh, the crowd was reacting positively, and I think that's what Greg Valentine was talking about, right? Greg Valentine was like, this is a great match, and the crowd is so into it, and they're loving everything. He must have seen it ringside as a kid and seen the people lose their mind and not actually, you know, watched what they did because they didn't do much of anything. It was not a clinic by any means. This or that. Tape trading or watching matches on pay-per-view? Jim? Oh, tape trading, a thousand percent. Because I was seeing things that I had never seen before. Like and like I love Muda, so I'm seeing eight to ten Muda matches. Yeah. Whereas like 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 it's all killer, no filler, right? Like I don't have to worry about like the bottom bullshit part of the card or Right. You know, somebody's injured, so they sub, like, WCW pay-per-views were notorious for subbing, like, a random dude in that, like, I didn't want to see and had no storyline and no interest in. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm getting high quality all the way through, so I'm definitely taking the tapes. How about the quality? The quality of the tapes didn't bother you? Did you ever have anybody, like, stiff you in terms of quality and stuff like oh, that? Oh, yeah, I've had some grainy tapes, but, like, overall, they're not putting fluff matches on tra- on tape trading, so I'll take that all day. Oh, interesting. Mike, what about you? Tape trading or watching pay-per-view? Well, I've met some pretty cool people th- through uh, tape trading. So I, <laughs> I'm going to go with that every day. Pay-per-views are cool, but it, uh, oh, I used to love getting the tapes in the mail. You get a whole shitload of them at once. You don't got to sit through the Disco Inferno matches. You can just skip through the <laughs> you know, If there's any filler on the tape, you just fast forward right through it. You go to what you want to see. Mm. You get to see who you want to see, what you want to see. We wouldn't have had any access to Japan or to ECW right. without right. tape trading. And, and right. that's, you know, how we all really kind of know each other for partially through that, at least, mm-hmm. you know, me and you, you more so, me and Jimmy yeah. through yeah. Fire Pro. 
So what for me about tape trading is really great is the anticipation, right? You can't describe to a young person today what it was like waiting for something to come oh, in the mail. Yeah. Like uh, the other day, I ordered something on Amazon here. So I, I bought my daughter a bicycle. I ordered it Monday evening at midnight, Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. It was at my door. She had yeah, no idea so I bought her a bicycle. You know what I mean? Like we waited for, even if I was trading tapes with Mike by mail, if I had to, let's say, sending them to Buffalo, it would have taken at least five, six days to arrive. And I've told you through AOL Instant Messenger, I've sent my <laughs> tape, right? And you, when you open your AOL after connecting through to the internet through your phone line, you get your pop-up message, a tape is coming every day. You're out at that mailbox waiting for the tape to arrive. You get that brown package, that manila envelope with the tapes inside you open up. It was like the whole experience of, you know, just waiting for the tape to arrive was, I don't know, full of tension and anxiety and not stress, but like anticipation. And I loved that part of it. A lot of the tapes I got were actually really, really, really grainy. When I traded with American people, 50% of the times they didn't send what I asked for or they didn't send anything at all. And I accepted the losses. I, I still prefer tape trading because watching on pay-per-view, unfortunately for me, pay-per-view was a thousand times more expensive than yeah. tape trading. And then you're right. You know, you get maybe one or two matches that you really want to see. And then during those matches, the commentators are just talking about what Hogan's going to do at the end of the night. They're not talking about <laughs> the match that you care about. Uh, I used to always be infuriated when I'd watch like a Rey Mysterio and a Psychosis match. And 90% of the talk is about... Tonight, Hogan's going to face Jeff Jarrett, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? I don't care about those guys. Tell me about what's going on in the ring now. And right. So uh, when you get those tape trades, tapes from like wherever you get them from, it's usually the matches are from an indie show or from a show where that's the main match on that tape. And they're just talking about that. And it just cut match after match after match. And you get to see what you want, how you want it. So I wish today's young people could have experienced what we went through. I think they'd appreciate the business way more than what they do now because they, they just get to see it on TV and they get great matches all the time. But when you are like not exposed to great matches all the time and you have to go and search for them, I think it just makes it so much more exciting. Agreed. Works that way with that, with music, movies, yeah, everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's always yeah. that way. You know, you don't search out the good stuff. Don't, don't be told what the good stuff is. Who the fuck is that guy? Who the fuck is that guy? This week in Who the Fuck is That Guy, there are five rounds. The fifth round, it's game over because whoever stumbles across it gets it. It's you, that's the answer. So we're going to go round one. I'm going to start with Mike this time. Mike, I'm going to give you the round one clue. If you don't get it, I'm going to go to Jim. I'm going to give you the round two clue. And then Mike, round three. Jim, round four. And that'll probably be the end. Okay, Mike, round one. Captain USA. Tony Atlas. Good guess. Jim, round two. Chuck O'Connor. Oh, Chuck O'Connor. I guess not. Chuck Palumbo. <laughs> Mike, I heard that. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay. <laughs> Mike, round three. Executioner number two. Dick Fire. Oh, good guess. But again, wrong. Jim, round four. The Mighty Minton. Terry Gordy. Oh, and I guess that leaves Mike as the winner because the answer is Big John Stud. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Yeah. Captain USA, Chuck O'Connor, executioner number two, which is strange because executioner number one is Randy Savage. 
Really? Yeah, That's I didn't nuts. know. The Mighty Minton and Big John Stead. So he's Big John Stead. He's our this week's Who the Fuck is That Guy. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to write to us at sixmanpodcast at gmail.com. For now, it's time to tag out. What?